The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk do not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. Left hash, first and goal from the three. Benson in the pistol, Travis in the gun. Snap back, zone read. Travis will run it. Travis run it to the edge. Just trot in there, baby! Jordan Travis on a Saturday afternoon stroll into the end zone. Two drives, two scores. 13-0 Florida State. The Knolls stay raging, beat the Cajuns. It is a good evening to you and how you be. William Haynes here, you there at 7.02 on this Victory Monday night. This is Tomahawk Talk, the weekly sports power hour on the voice of Florida State, 89.7 FM, WVFS Tallahassee, always streaming online live at wvfs.fsu.edu. The show is available the next day as a podcast wherever you find them as well. Great slate here. Florida State football winning their fourth in a row. Another win in blowout fashion. We'll talk about all of that from that 49-17 win. We'll also preview the big one this week on Friday night. The Florida Gators coming to town, so we'll tell you everything you need to know about that one. And then we'll have uh, an assortment of Florida State athletics to follow soccer, basketball on the men's and women's side. Uh, But with that being said, I'm William Haynes, back in the captain's chair after my absence last week. It's great to be back, and I turn uh, to the left for the man that was in the captain's seat a week ago, our co-host of the show, Jackson Bacon. Jackson, great to see you in studio again. I thought you did a great job hosting the show. Loved the, the commentary on FSU football. Did a great breakdown on the landscape of the college football playoff as well. How are you? Well, first of all, I'm, I'm doing great. Thank you for having me on. Uh, thank you for allowing me to, uh, to host Last week it was a great time and uh, it was a great opportunity, so I'm really appreciative of that. But you know, I'll tell you, if I was doing any better, William, I'd be dead. It's 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 an interesting time. Uh, you know, we talked about it last week on the show. It's an interesting landscape that this Florida State football team is encountering at this moment. You know, uh, similar to the Miami Dolphins, my Miami my Miami Dolphins. You know, four straight wins, um, and then three straight losses, and then four straight wins. Um, not exactly the same as the Dolphins, of course, you know, they had a bye this week, but, uh, it's an interesting time to, to be a Florida State Miami fan, just a Florida State fan in general. No doubt about that. Turning to the panelists to my right, we start with a returning guest, Jacob Smith. Jacob, I know, that, not to put you on the spot, the first thing I want to ask you, you're our kind of resident meteorologist. The cold weather that we're experiencing in Tallahassee, is it as, are we going to have a cold winter? Is it an early kind of flash in the pan? Do you have any read on what's going on? Well, firstly, it's just great to be back in this seat again. And, <laughs> well, I can't really say for certain. I've seen some reports from the Weather Service that we're actually uh, experiencing a below average uh, cold, below, below average temperatures for the next couple of days. And then in the 14 to 21 day range, it's actually going to be above average. So we'll see how that goes. But I can't guarantee that there's going to be any more cold weather, at least in the next two or three weeks. But we'll see. Personally, I've been a fan of it. I mean, I think most people here, you know, came from somewhere south of Tallahassee, so we don't get to experience this very often. But, yes, Jacob, great to have you back. Last time you were on, we talked some some Seahawks football. They're still in first place. Oh, yeah. Geno Smith still in, in the running. Maybe Dark Horse MVP, definitely maybe Comeback Player of the Year. So good stuff there as well. And, and rounding out the crew, a, a special guest tonight, Andrew Parker, a uh, devoted fan, listener, turned impromptu guest. Our roster is a little light the week of Thanksgiving, and we thought, well, what better man to call up uh, than, than Mr. Andrew Parker? So, Andrew, how are you? Great to have you on the show. 
Well, it's a special experience to be on this week because I've been listening to the program on football season, and we have the biggest game of the year this week, and the Knolls might be going bowling in December, but you got to have this one first because you beat Miami earlier in the year. And as Coach Norvell's talked about all season, there's two games they prepare for, and the second one of those is this Friday night, the Sunshine Showdown, as you said, William. That's how you know it's a it's a, a fierce rivalry when you won't even say the name of the opponent. You see Michigan and Ohio State do the same, Florida State doing so with, with UF and Miami. So really looking forward to breaking down that game. Our producer of the show peeking in from behind the glass, Jack Oliaro. We'll hear from him later, a little World Cup update, and also we'll talk some Florida State sports with him. He's been great covering the soccer and, and the basketball and all that. And also around 7.20, expecting J- uh, Joseph Henry, sports editor of The Alligator. That's the uh, the UF student paper to talk about that uh, big game on Friday. You know, William, don't sound too excited when you're talking about the World Cup, man. It's the World Cup. The World Cup. One every four years, man. What a time to be alive. The U.S. is back in it after not qualifying in 2018. So yeah, anyone, we'll, we'll talk about it more later on. Yeah, maybe you got your radio on in your dorm, whatever. You, you don't follow the World Cup. Uh, Team USA did draw against Wales, uh, one one goal each. So uh, in, the, in, their, in the group stage of the World Cup, and you'll hear more later on. But I don't want to delay it any further. Let's let's get into this. Florida State beats Louisiana Lafayette, the Raging Cajuns. You hear all types of names uh, to, to refer to that school. Knowles win 49-17. to A couple narratives going into the game, even expressed on this show. People asking, was this a look-ahead spot for the Knowles? Um, it seems like uh, as long as the ACC schedule for them starts early on in the season, uh, the week before UF is a non-conference kind of tune-up week against a lesser opponent. And so people thought, you know, are they looking ahead to the to the Gator game? Are they going to take care of business? And boy, did they. And potentially their most dominant win of the 2022 season. The Louisiana defense coming into this game, allowing only about 20 points a game. This was the, the pride of their game. Billy Napier, the, the coach, last several seasons now in Gainesville with the Gators. There were some holdovers from, from a really successful run that the Cajuns had. And they, bo- they had a good defense that they brought into Tallahassee. But, boy, they didn't look it uh, on Saturday. They had a backup quarterback in as well. Um, he... They, they went back and forth in quarterbacks, but Chandler Fields, who started on Saturday, was the backup uh, during the week, and they made a game-time decision to, to go to Fields, and, and he didn't uh, look particularly well. Uh, but the Knolls start the game with the ball, and they, they march all the way down the field. The eighth time this season they've had an opening possession touchdown drive. It was Treshawn Ward out of the Wildcat formation, taking it himself, 36 yards uh, on, on the opening drive. The next two drives were touchdowns as well. Heavy running the ball despite facing uh, a stacked box from Louisiana and, and two touchdown runs from Jordan Travis, one of which you heard on the call to open the show, courtesy of Jeff Colhane and Learfield. Uh, Saturday stroll, as, as he called it. Uh, Louisiana on fourth and two at the FSU 48. One of the best chances they had all game. Runs up the gut and absolutely smacked by the safety, Jamie Robinson. He was laying the wood all game long, plugged a hole to stop the run uh, to prevent the first down, and that just added to the momentum that this team had, uh, offense and defense feeding off of each other. For the Cajuns, mostly three and outs after that. They took a field goal to end the half. They had first and goal from the one, uh, and then a fourth and goal from the two on that drive and decided for whatever reason not to go for it and took the points maybe to prevent a shutout. Two more touchdown drives in the half for Florida State. Make it 35-3 to at the break, which is the largest lead that they had this year. Kentron Portier making some nice grabs, including a touchdown catch, which is the very tips of his fingers. 
uh, all the backups for FSU uh, in to start the second half. Tate Rodemaker, the first drive out. That was the earliest Jordan Travis had exited a game, not for injury. Rodemaker was only in for one drive at 35-3, to threw a 45-yard pass to Kentron Portier, and they ran it in a couple plays later. The Cajuns fumble inside their own 20, and they decide to go to the third-string quarterback, the true freshman A.J. Duffy, uh, who showed flashes, and he, he threw maybe the hardest ball I've seen from a seminal quarterback this year inside the red zone ripped a pass to Marquiston Douglas the tight end who had to go up with one hand to get it the first career touchdown for both Duffy and Douglas made the game even further out of hand after that running back Rodney Hill and Deuce Span getting a lot of touches walk-on quarterback Geno English even gets into the game his first time as a Seminole uh, which was one of the more noteworthy things in the second half Mike Rousseau uh, caught a 16-yard ball from English and uh, that was uh, certainly a highlight for for a lot of those guys. Uh, Louisiana scored a couple touchdowns against you know potentially third and fourth team defenses for the Knolls to get the final score where it was at 49-17. So Jackson, I'll turn it to you. Did this game go as you expected? I mentioned lots of attention of a potential UF look ahead, but boy, they took care of business. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I expected it, and not to not to say I told you so. Uh, to any particular panelists that were on the show last week, but uh, Max Rundy, I'm talking to you. But um, you know, there there was people that were saying, you know, this might be a trap game. And I, I said on the show last week, I said uh, I think this FSU team is beyond jinxing. I really do. I I I think this FSU team, um, and and they really showed it to me at the Miami game, um, just dedicated to taking care of business now. Um, you know, after the tough loss against NC State, the tough loss against Clemson, where they just they shot themselves in the foot. Um, this is a team that is firing on in all cylinders, and I don't think anybody really in the country, except for maybe Georgia, wants to see Florida State on their schedule. I really do believe that. Um, this is a team that really has an opportunity. You know, should they get a New Year's Six Bowl by the grace of God? Or you know a, a very solid you know mid-tier bowl game um, to to really make noise and have a lot of momentum going into next year. Jacob and Andrew, I want to hear from both of you on this question. If you have the same answer, so be it. But from Saturday, and you can also include all the four-game win streak. What has impressed you more about Florida State, offense or the defense? I think they're both on the same level, honestly. Because I mean, when you put up 49 points against a D1 opponent, that's nothing to just close your eyes at and just ignore completely. But when they score 17 points, uh, when they score 17 points against your defense, that's also something to, uh, I'd say, that's notable, honestly. And so, because of that, and also because Louisiana was not scoring those other those 17 points like right off the bat, it came very late into the game. I think that that says a lot about our defense and the fact that our, our third and fourth teams were still fighting it out and still um, not allowing a huge amount of points from Louisiana. I think that says a lot about our team. Yeah. Andrew? I want to add on to something that Jackson had said, and I'll answer that too. Um, when people were talking about it being a potential uh, trap game, the I'd say most of the players from – Louisiana, who were there under Coach Napier, were still there. And so although they had lost their head man, they still had great talent. And so we were still able to um, dominate them 
the entire game. And then from a fan perspective in the second half, in terms of the offense or the, or the defense, you're, you're kind of hoping that that uh, streak of consecutive games and halves where we didn't let them score a touchdown would continue after they ha- after the Raging Cajuns uh, kicked the field goal to end the first half. And so it was a disappointing thing to see them uh, excuse me, uh, get in the end zone twice in the second half. But then that's... St- that puts the last month of the uh, defense in full perspective and how the defense being great was able to make the offense uh, have have more opportunities to score and and win the last four games in uh, blowout fashion. And, and not only that, but the ones, the, the, the first-teamers haven't, still haven't given up a touchdown um, in, almost, in more than a month now. So uh, just an absolute... Uh, turnaround from Adam Fuller, you know, especially after the Jacksonville State game last year. I feel like I mentioned that once a week on the show, but um, you won't let him live it down. I, I apologize. It's just it's kind of similar to the Miami games. Um, they're just great benchmarks to see how far this team's come. But um, you know, people were calling for Al- Adam Fuller's head after that game and throughout many games of the season. And um, you know, he, he's. I think a lot of Florida State fans now are are worried that they might lose him and Coach Atkins uh, to the coaching carousel. And, um, you know, we we saw people like Dabo Sweeney that's had such great success, um, especially having that longevity of having your offensive and defensive coordinators and a lot of your coaching staff stay around for such a long time. Um, Not only is that a blueprint for success, I know I'm going a little bit of a tangent here, but, you know, it makes you show how how good Coach Saban is because, you know, these guys are going out – all the time, but if, if Florida State can keep their coordinators, um, who knows what they'll be able to do in the next three or four years? Yeah, you talk about the the run that this defense has been on their their streak of eleven consecutive quarters without giving up a touchdown was was snapped. But as you said, I mean it, the starters were not in the game. Far from it. At that point, Florida State has yet to give up an opening drive touchdown this uh, this season. So you you combine on offense eight straight opening drive touchdowns with the defense not allowing any. This season, you add them all up in the first quarter. Florida State is a combined one fifteen to forty, uh, and that that's that's gone a great deal in how they've been able to win all these ball games as they start so darn hot. For Adam Fuller, I'm, certainly he's having a good year. You know, he he gets to be the face of this thing, but uh, obviously th- he's had more talent than ever uh, at his disposal. Jared Verse has had a tackle for loss in every game he's appeared in as a Seminole, and he's going to be a first round pick in the NFL draft. Fabian Lovett and Robert, Robert Cooper, great defensive tackles up the middle. You look at uh, Tatum Bethune, the transfer middle linebacker, has been great. You had uh, a good season from DJ Lundy. You know, this is not Amari Gaynor and Kalen Deloach that can't cover guys and out Patrick of space. Patrick Payton and Derek McClendon, absolutely. And then uh, I mentioned Jamie Robinson earlier. He's going to go to the Senior Bowl. He'll probably be, you know, first, second, third-round pick. Can hit really hard, great in coverage. Uh, the corners, I think, are probably the weakness of this unit, but I think the front seven has done such a good job with the pass rush that it doesn't show up very much. And Louisiana uh, couldn't throw the ball with much success. I think there was eight or nine passes defensed across the entire game. And constantly, uh, the opposition starting drives from within their 15 or within their 10-yard line, and it makes it impossible to score against this defense. Everything is working in tandem. Uh, it's a It's a run that's not sustainable, but it's one of those where... Um, everyone looks untouchable, and it's really fun to watch. And they've they've been able to maintain it here for you know a pretty long stretch. 
uh, flipping over to the offensive side of the ball because they deserve their credit too. What's what's meant more to the running game? They had another 200-yard game on the ground, 250 yards. Do you think it's the great backs, the great ball carriers, Travis included, or the great blocking because this offensive line has had a stupendous turnaround as well? Well, I, I will say, um, you know, we, we saw who broke the rock uh, after the game. You know, it was Coach, Coach Fuller. Um, it was Dylan Gibbons, the, the guard that broke right. the rock. That's right. Excuse yeah. me. Or did I say Fuller? Excuse me. Coach Atkins and, and, and Coach Gibbons. Or, and, and Gibbons. Pardon me. Um, but, you know, I, I was able to be around the program in 2020. Um, the general consensus was that the running back room was our deepest room. Um, but I think it has to go to the offensive line just because the, the running back core has been so solid the last, you know, two or three years. Um but the offensive line behind them has just been horrendous, and so um, to see the strides that they've that they've made, um, not only keeping the running game healthy, but also keeping Jordan Travis healthy, I think you you have to give the nod to the offensive line. I want to give a quick credit to Dylan Gibbons. He transferred from Notre Dame prior to the twenty one season. Offensive lineman Robert Scott spoke to the media after the game. Really rare for an offensive lineman to get that type of media availability, and. They asked him about Dylan Gibbons because Coach had mentioned that he broke the rock. And, and Scott is talking about this stuff where, because this is, is Scott's third year starting with the team, he said, yeah, it used to be we all watched film on our own, did our own thing. But this year, because Gibbons is the leader in the position room, we all watch film together. I mean, it seems it seems simple, but it takes a leader to, to start that culture. And it's led to a unit that I think has driven potentially this team at times. And just to uh, and off on that, Dylan Gibbons is a semifinalist for the Jason Witten Collegiate Man of the Year Award, hey. which, for those who don't know, I believe it's an Offensive Lineman Centered Award. Uh, Jason Witten, yeah, I mean, he was a tight end. I know he was like a Man of the Year candidate. Gibbons has been known for doing a lot in the, com- uh, in the community, too. So it might be one of those kind of on and off the field combined awards type things. Yeah, and if he if he wins this, I believe FFC receives ten thousand dollars to their scholarship fund. Woo! It's pretty cool. <laughs> Gibbons has been yeah a, a huge part uh, and changed the room. It was also interesting from from Scott's Robert Scott's interview. Um, they asked him about you know how much different the the team that he's been on has been now that they're dominating, and he said yeah it didn't really hit me until today talking about Saturday because we came out of the locker room. He said I played one series into the second half. And they told him that he was going to be on the bench for the rest of the game. And he was like, wait, really? We can do this? We can just sit here chilling, is what he said. And he's going up to the backups and giving them tips about, you know, blocking the twists and all that. And it's amazing that for so long, Florida State hasn't had this, where we're blowing out, you know, six, seven opponents a year. And you, you get you get the starters out at halftime. This is, this is back to where this program should be. And I think that's a great uh, little piece about um, about what that's meant. Uh, I think we got our, our guest on the line, so we'll we'll go to him now. We're going to try and, and save that for later, but we'll go ahead and, and hit the phones now. We are joined on Tomahawk Talk, William Jackson, Jacob, and Andrew by the sports editor of The Alligator, Joseph Henry. Are you on the line? How are you? Yeah, I'm on the line. How are you guys doing? I'm doing fantastic, Joseph. Thank you uh, for joining the show. The, the first question I want to ask you, and you can kind of take this and run with it if you like, but for, for those listening to the show that haven't seen many Florida games, maybe haven't paid as much attention to the team, can you summarize for us the 2022 season for the Gators thus far? I mean, it was kind of being – I was kind of preparing to, like, break it up into kind of chunks. The expectations 
expectations have been a big thing with this team so far this year, and they were relatively tame going into the season. It's the first year under um, new head coach Billy Napier, and then all the way back now in um, early September at this point, they have this big upset win over Utah to kick off the year. Um, Utah was ranked inside the top ten at the time, and things really blew out of proportion there. The next week, they fall right back down to the face of the earth uh, with a loss to Kentucky at home. And the season's just been very back and forth um, since then. And, I mean, right as Florida seemed to be having some momentum, they get back-to-back wins against Texas A&M and South Carolina and some pretty dominant performances there. And then this past Saturday, they go to Nashville and just fall flat on their face against Vandy. And props to Vanderbilt. They showed up and were ready to play that football game. And Florida looked like they were sleepwalking through it and – there's just so many self-inflicted wounds throughout that game. A lot of Florida beating themselves. I mean, Napier and a lot of and all the players really own up to that as well. So, we'll be interesting to see how they rebound or if they're even able to um, going into this weekend. But that's kind of the vibe of the season so far. Yeah, that that's what's really stood out to me is the the roller coaster nature with Billy Napier. The really high highs. Uh, beating Utah and all that, but some really low lows, losing to some lowly opponents. They almost got beat by USF at home. Is there is there any type of concern about that with Napier, that it, the difficulty in finding consistency week to week? The consistency definitely is concerning, and I feel like it was something a lot of people kind of forgave in the first half of the season. And then, you know, you go and you play Georgia and you lose that game, but there was a lot of positives that could be drawn from that performance, the neutral site game against the number one team in the country. And after that, you have a bye week and then you come out and you play probably your two best games of the season. And then like I was talking about this past weekend, losing to Vanderbilt, a team that Florida was riding a eight game winning streak against and has historically just dominated as most of the SEC has. And it's, it is kind of cause for concern. It, it would be very premature and very jumping the gun in terms of saying, oh, he's not the guy or he's not the right fit for this job. I think there have been a lot of positives to what Billy's done this year and what his staff has done. And there's always the, the fallback answer and reasoning to where this isn't really Napier's team. He's still operating on under a team that was mostly recruited by Dan Mullen next year when he has his first recruiting class in his first full recruiting class in the building and he has kind of his guys then you kind of see what's going on but i mean just the week to week like way like where the team just looks different from week to week and some weeks the offense is great and the defense is terrible some weekends the offense looks kind of okay and the defense looks a little better and just a lot of up and down play just in each level of the game. I mean, this past weekend, I mean, Florida plays not great on defense, has a pretty solid day offensively. Special teams kill them. And it's the stuff like that is where you kind of look towards the coaching. Hi, hi um, Joseph. So last year the Florida Gators, or how how were they doing last year? Nine and nine and three, I believe. They were they were high up in the uh, 
SEC. SEC. So no, what, that was that was the year before. The year before. I'm sorry. So when last you year, I mean, last year I think they had six wins. They like barely cracked into a bowl game. Oh, all right. Yeah, that's right. The uh, the FSU Florida game was determined who's going to determine who went to a bowl. That's correct. Well, there you go. Yeah. So when you look back at the play of Kyle Trask, who is now on the Bucks as the third stringer, he went in the third round. Do you see any comparison between the play of Kyle Trask and Anthony Richardson? And do you see NFL potential in Anthony Richardson? I mean, going back and talking about Trask, I mean, I'm in my senior year at UF now, so Trask is like Trask is like first season really with control of the starting job with my freshman year. And then my sophomore year was the year where he kind of really took off and became a Heisman finalist, and there was kind of the buzz around him um, as far as being an NFL prospect. I mean, I would obviously love for him to get more of a shot at some point in his NFL career, but it's the, kind of, the jury's still kind of out on if that's going to happen. I think I don't know how much comparison I can draw between him and Richardson, Um I can draw a comparison between how they are as people. Um, both just really great guys from the interactions that I've had um, with Richardson and what I just know about Kyle um, in terms of just the way they carried themselves. Um, very, very poised, a very focused um, demeanor um, with the media and just with their teammates. Um, so I can draw that comparison. But in terms of their actual play, very different in, term, in the way that Trask was definitely more of like your prototypical big pocket passer but i mean richardson is 240 pounds can get out in the open field and reach almost 20 miles an hour running the ball i mean he's a freak of nature when it comes to his athleticism which is what i think makes him so appealing as an nfl prospect and we're kind of waiting and seeing here in gainesville if this Florida State game and then our subsequent bowl game after that, if those are the last two games that we have of, of AR here. Because, I mean, if he, goes, if he goes into the draft process and he goes to the combine, he's going to light it up. And he's probably going to end up being a first-round guy if he, if he gets there. Obviously, would love to see him come back. I feel like there is still a lot of areas he can develop. But, I mean, right now, just based off of Pure athleticism. He's got a ridiculously strong arm. He has a pretty high football IQ, and I can definitely see him being successful at the NFL right away. It really does just depend on the situation, but I feel like that's kind of the way it is with most quarterbacks as well. So, I mean, it's kind of at this point, at the end of the season, especially after last week's loss, I mean, Florida fans would love to have a win over Florida State, even though after last week, it seems a little more unlikely. Florida State's rolling right now. And then it's just kind of all eyes are on Anthony Richardson and that decision and when that's going to happen. But it's probably going to be at some point here in the next couple months. Gotcha, Joseph. So uh, I was able to attend that, that Florida-Kentucky game down there in the swamp. Um, and I, I was able to watch Anthony Richardson live in person. And uh, I watched the Utah game very intently because I may have had some pizza points on it. Um, but uh, just a, such a stark contrast between those two performances from Richardson. Um, I think this game will really depend on you know how how well Richardson does, uh, whether the, the this game is going to be close or not. Um, but my 
my question for you though, um, you know, Florida State had a very similar situation. You know, the hire a group of five coach immediately doesn't have, or excuse me, doesn't have immediate success. What is the fan base's, I guess, opinion on Napier? How are they feeling about him? Um, is there any sort of consensus on him right now? I don't know if there is a consensus. I mean, Florida fans are some of the most volatile fans in the country. And I say that with a lot of respect. And, I mean, I'm in a position where I'm a student journalist now, so I cover the team and I'm as objective as I can be. But I go to Florida and I grew up a Gator fan. I understand the Florida fan base in that way um, as just being a part of it. And, like, with all due respect to, like, Florida fans, like, they're very hot and cold, and it kind of just depends on the week. I mean, last Friday, go before the Florida Vandy game, Florida had two of their best performances of the year against South Carolina and A&M, had stacked together two SEC wins, secured bowl eligibility, and everybody was like, oh, this might end up being like an eight-win season, depending on if we can beat Florida – if the Gators can beat Florida State at the end of the year, and then you lose to Vanderbilt, and everybody, the entire tone flips. And it's, oh, Napier got outcoached, and he's the reason why they lost to Vanderbilt. And, I mean, it, it's really a week-to-week thing with how this fan base feels about coaches. I mean, it's kind of a tangent, but one of the – prime examples of it was um, for the Florida men's basketball team. I mean, Mike White never really had, like, a terrible season at Florida, but the expectation of this fan base for most of their sports, especially at football and basketball, because they've had a taste of it before, is national championships, and they don't like to settle for less. And it makes it to where you got to have some thick skin to be a a big-time coach here at Florida. No, I, I totally get that. Um, you know, the, the fan base has always been, like you said, hot and cold. I think a lot of us were surprised by the Dan Mullen fire. Um, but maybe that, that was something internally that we just didn't hear the rumblings of. But, um, you know, another offensive head coaching hire for, you know, the Florida Gators. Do you feel that the defense has been neglected? Um, I'm not really sure. I feel like there has been a pretty decent, um... No one's coming for you right now, Joseph, are they? We hear the sirens in no, the background. <laughs> I, I was out at, um, at dinner, so I'm out gotcha. in, in my car, and then a fire truck just <laughs> Well, I hope you're staying safe down <laughs> there in Gainesville. I'm all good. I'm all good. Good. Um, yeah, I mean, the defense, it's... I wouldn't say it's being neglected, like... I don't have the insight that I wish I could have to answer that question as far as what goes on day to day, but I definitely don't think there's a neglect to it. Um, A lot of defensive shortcomings this season have just come down to weird scheming things, and again, that goes back to the little critiques of the coaching staff that everybody likes to um, bring up, but I think it also goes towards the type of scheme, like the defensive staff here is really, really great. Like, Corey Raymond um, is a guy, like, 
that I can like pinpoint as he was a defensive backs coach at LSU for a long time. And then Napier got him to um, flip over to Florida in this off season. And he's coached some of the best defensive backs to enter the NFL in the last couple of years. I mean, LSU defensive backs are just notoriously really good. So I definitely don't think there's a neglect to it. I think this season has just been, there's been a couple injury things. Um, like, there was the whole situation where Brenton Cox got dismissed from the program. So, like, there was rumblings of, like, not that we really knew of, but we were, like, kind of put in tune that that was a situation that was developing all season. So who knows what was really going on there in terms of how the coaching staff was interacting with the personnel here. And, again, I mean, in, the fir- in, a, in like, the first year, everybody's still kind of getting to know everybody. Like, you have the whole offseason. You have all of camp and everything. But, I mean, in terms of, camp, like, being at camp and practicing, like, five days a week and then getting in season and having a game and you're doing game prep all week, two very different animals. So, definitely just – I wouldn't say neglect. I don't think that would be the word that I would choose, like, choose to describe it for, like, why the defense has been playing the way it has. But, I mean, there's just so many different things. And, it's like, you, it's the same way that the team as a whole kind of changes from week to week. But you can look at the dif- at the defense, and one week it's they can't get to the quarterback, and the other week it's the safeties are playing terrible. It's, it changes every single week with what's going on. Gotcha. So, so Joseph, I, I guess to really hone in on, on Napier here one more time, um, what what is the the vibe around him? Is he more of a disciplinarian? Is he a players coach? Do you think he's kind of a mixture between the two, or uh, do we even know yet? I know a lot of coaches uh, like to be that authoritarian, disciplinarian figure um, as soon as they get in to kind of make their mark, but some kind of ease up as they go along. What's the what's the view I- on him? I definitely think it's a mixture. I think we've kind of seen more of that, like, disciplinary side um, here in the last couple weeks. I mean, I just brought up the whole point about Brenton Cox being dismissed from the team. And when we had a media availability, that got announced on a Monday morning. and We had a press conference with Napier, I mean, a good hour after that news broke. And we were able to ask him about it. And he was very clear saying that playing – football at the University of Florida is a privilege. And so I think there is some kind of authority in that sense, and I feel like that's kind of a move that was maybe to set a tone, um, to maybe set a new tone in the locker room. Maybe things were getting a little too loose as the season was moving on. But also, just from what I know of just talking to players and stuff like that, he is a player's coach. I mean, he really cares about his guys and I mean he'll go to bat for anybody um, in terms of if they have a really off game he's not going to make excuses but he's going to go out there and defend his guys and so I definitely think it's a mix of both but I mean still I mean we're about 10 weeks into this season we've had a little bit of an off we had the off season where we got to kind of get a little taste of what was going on but still just a very small sample size of how Napier is as a coach. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, we just still got to have to kind of wait and see. I mean, it's not like he's 
he's not getting fired after this year. He's not getting fired after next year. I mean, they're kind of committed to him at this point. He's going to have plenty of time to kind of solidify himself as, like, the figurehead of this team. And that goes from, I mean, just how fans perceive the program, how the players do, and the recruiting and all the aspects that go into that. I mean, he's going to have the time to really cement himself here, and it just depends on what he really does with it. But I still think it's kind of a little too early to see it, which of those on that spectrum of being disciplinary or being a player's coach, which I, he kind of trends more towards. Now I'd definitely say it's more it's more of a mix at this point from what we can tell. You got a score prediction for Friday, Joseph? Ooh, I haven't really thought about the score. I mean, um, a buddy of mine and myself, we drove up to Nashville to go cover the Vandy game. And on the way there, I was talking to um, – I did a little phone interview with somebody that covers the Vanderbilt football team, and I predicted Florida to win that game by, like, 20 points. And I was dead wrong on that one. So – my score predictions aren't always the best, but just being very truthful after this last week, I could very easily see Florida keeping this very close, and I think if they do that, that means it's going to get really high scoring, and it's going to be kind of a shootout, but I could also see Florida, I mean, just on the road, just not showing up at all after this last week, where they just had a really disappointing performance. Um, either way, just keeping it real, I think I'm going to lean towards the, the Knowles winning this one just out of how things are feeling around the Florida team right now. And let me see a score. Let's go like 35-24 Florida State. Joseph, you took the words right out of my mouth because that's that's my prediction as well, 35-24. I think that's a a solid, fair assessment. Um, You know, I honestly – couldn't tell you whether Florida State jumps out to an early lead and Florida makes its way back or if it stays close most of the way and Florida State pulls away at the end, but uh, I think that's a solid prediction scoreline there. Yeah, I mean, my mindset is that Florida's definitely, like, the offense is definitely good enough and has enough talent on Florida's side that they're going to be able to score points, but again, I mean, if Florida State can generate a couple turnovers, I mean, you talked about the difference in the kind of night and day difference between Richardson's performance from the Utah to the Kentucky game. He didn't have any turnovers against against Utah. He had a couple against Kentucky. It shot his confidence, and he wasn't playing like he as well as he could have because he wasn't confident anymore. And now it's holding them back. So it was kind of another thing we saw last weekend. Florida starts to commit some turnovers as a team. It really shoots them in the foot. So if Florida State, if the defense can find a way to turn Florida over a couple times, like that's the type of stuff that makes a difference. All right, Joseph. Well, thank you for the time. Thank you for the analysis. Uh, we wish you the best of luck with your time there at the uh, at the paper, and uh, thanks for coming on the show. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So there he goes, Joseph Henry, sports editor of The Alligator. Uh, some, some great insight into Napier and Richardson and, and everything else. But let's get down to it, fellas. William Jackson, Jacob, and Andrew back in the studio. Tomahawk Talk. Friday night, 730 on ABC. 
Florida uh, coming into town at six and five. They've already clinched a bowl. Florida State now the line is at nine and a half. They're favored, so nearly double digits the spread. Uh, ESPN's Football Power Index gives the Noles a seventy-seven percent chance to win. So any metric you look at likes Florida State quite a bit here. Uh, there's no question that that Richardson poses quite a threat at the quarterback position, and and the running quarterback is something that can stress this this Florida State defense. So now that we've heard from from Joseph and everything that we know, uh, what's our read on this football game? Well, uh, I just said it, you know, right there in the interview. Um, he took the words right out of my mouth, and I'm sticking with that 35-24. I think Florida State uh, is just too talented on both sides of the ball, and especially if, if Florida's uh, special teams don't come to play. Uh, Florida State's have been solid the past, you know, three or four games in this winning streak, so uh, I expect Florida State to uh, get the job done in Doak. This might be a little bit outlandish, but I feel like Travis is just going to ascend to a higher plane in this game. So, rivaling the 1940 NFL Championship, I'm going FSU 73, Gators 0. Mm. And I, uh, at the beginning of the season, we played LSU, an SEC team, and our offense was tested. And I think we're going to be tested on Friday night for the first time um, much like we were in that game when Jordan Travis had to run, had to make plays, and had to pass the ball a lot because we've been running the ball a lot in the last month. But if you protect the football and you protect your quarterback, then you're going to win 27-17. And I also wanted to say that, you know, they talk about how um, our players come to Florida State to play in games like these. Well, us students come to Florida State to attend games like these. We all have family coming up. We all have friends coming up, and the whole country is going to be watching, so it's going to be a great time on Friday night. Did you give us a score? You got a score? 20, uh, 27 Florida State, 17 the other guys. All right. So right about that spread, the the over-under for what it's worth is 58. So I think they're they're expecting some offense in the, in the desert. Uh, I'm going to try and keep this long story as short as I can. I think – First of all, I think UF is going to win this game outright. Uh, you look back to this game a season ago, Florida State was rolling. They were getting some momentum towards the end of the season. And all of a sudden, they go into Gainesville and they face an SEC team and that roster and all those recruits that those kind of schools can bring in. And they got beat up badly on both sides of the ball up front. And they just they got smacked in the mouth, and I think they had trouble dealing with it. I am not denying the success on the offense and defensive line that the Noles have had this season, but uh, I think sometimes it goes understated, the effects uh, teams from the Southeastern Conference have, and I think um, they've been blowing out these subpar teams the last month or so. They haven't been smacked in the mouth in a while, and I don't know how they're going to respond to it because, you know, sometimes with this Noel team, the wheels can come off the bus, and I'm just going to bet that that's going to happen. I would love to be the village idiot on next Monday, and we can talk about how silly I was after we just trounced the Gators, but... Um, that just happens to be my read on it, and we'll see how it goes. But I think no matter uh, who comes out on top, it's going to be close. Two teams that don't like each other, uh, we know the drill. Well, real quick, to rebut your point, you know, last year, uh, Jordan Travis, they're in Gainesville. Uh, See, that's usually three points there to the home team. But, um, you know, Jordan Travis has injury troubles during that game. You have Mackenzie Milton, who had, you know, confidence was shot at that point. Um, And you have Tate Rodemaker that takes a few snaps as well, I think, a lot went wrong for Florida State in that game, and it was still pretty close. I had a chance to uh, possibly get the onside kick there at the end to make it really interesting. So um, I think Florida State uh, will have an opportunity to uh, finally hold that Gator head up high. 
the the quarterback for Florida, Anthony Richardson, he's so much Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. If he's good, he looks like a Heisman Trophy winner. If he's bad, he looks like the worst quarterback in the country. I think he can have a lot of success against this this defense. And I think Florida State's offense potentially t- could take a dirt nap like you saw in the second half of the NC State game or for in the first half of the Wake Forest game. Sometimes they go dormant. I would be just be on the lookout for that. 28-24 Gators is my pick. But with that being said, we've got Jack Oliaro, not with Seminole segment, but with a World Cup update. Jack, take it away. Thank you, William. What's good, everyone? I am Jack Oliaro. Today will not be a regularly scheduled Seminole segment as... William stated, but instead, the World Cup Weekly, relaying the latest and greatest in all the world's biggest sporting celebration, I should say. Doesn't quite rhyme, but it'll do. Uh, We begin in Group A. Qatar made its debut in the World Cup against Ecuador. Historically, the host nation has never lost its first game in the World Cup, and only once has the host nation failed to qualify for the Round 16. 2010 South Africa were eliminated on goal differential that year. Uh, The game started lively with Ecuador thinking they had scored the earliest goal in the history of the opening match, but a controversial offsides call was given and the game continued, but Ecuador didn't have to wait much longer for the opener as they were given a penalty after Enter Valencia was tripped up by the Qatari keeper. Valencia dispatched his goal, sending the keeper Al-Shib the other way, and the World Cup finally had its first goal. At the 30-minute mark, Valencia made a double for Latri off Angelo Prisado's cross. Unmarked the back post, he fired the ball off his head and into the net. Qatar would make some chances later, but they couldn't find the goal, and the first match ended in defeat for the host 2-0. The other Group A match saw the Netherlands and Senegal in a tight one. The Lions of Teranga made chances and defended well without star player Sadio Mane, but in the 84th minute, Dutch winger Cody Gakko went aerial. The ball between him and the Senegalese keeper, Edouard Mendy, and he struck the ball with his head and put the Netherlands up 1-0 with just six minutes remaining. In the eighth minute of added time, the Dutch added another as Memphis Depay drove his way into the box and delivered a powerful strike that Mendy saved but didn't clear, meaning David Klassen was there for the easy cleanup and the Orange sat atop the table with Ecuador at three points each while Qatar and Senegal sit at the bottom. Now, Qatar will play Senegal. Loser of that is pretty much all but out of the competition, while the Netherlands face Ecuador. Winner of that match is all but secured their place in the round of 16. All of that will take place on Black Friday. In Group B, the combatants include last year's semifinalists, England, top Asian qualifier, Iran, the Stars and Stripes, the United States, and for the first time since 1958, the Welsh. Uh, today was the opening matches for the group, with England starting the day off with a thrashing of their Iranians. The Iranian goalkeeper, Alariza Benavard, collided with one of his defenders early on in the match and was down for what seemed to be a potential concussion and was attended to for over 10 minutes. Uh, he was cleared by the Iranian doctors and was told he can continue, but only Benavard to come off after a minute. Uh, England began firing with three goals in 11 minutes off that. Jude Bellingham, Bakoya Saka, Raheem Sterling all scoring. In the second half, Saka made it the fourth. Mehdi Tarimi scored for Iran, and before the English inflicted further hell with goals by Marcus Rashford, Jack Grealish, and all that before Taremi made it a brace. The game finished an astonishing 6-2 with England lying down the benchmark, and that other match between the U.S. and the Welsh was the first draw of the World Cup. The Americans were bossing the game early on, making some clear chances, holding the ball, keeping the Welsh pin back, and the U.S. found the opener with Christian Pulisic driving down the center of the pitch, playing a lovely through ball to Tim Weah, who cleverly side-footed a shot past the keeper, and the U.S. had the 1-0 lead. The second half saw the roles reversed, as the Welsh took the game to the U.S. for the equalizer, forcing Matt Turner into a couple of decent saves before Walker Zimmerman made a hard challenge on Gareth Bale in the box, awarding them with a penalty. It stood... Matt Turner versus Gareth Bale, the former Fairhill um, Stags keeper versus a five-time Champions League winner, 
Gareth Barrel stepped up, Matt Turner choosing the right way, but Bale's shot just too damn powerful, too damn accurate, and into the net as the Welsh equalized with just 10 minutes to go. Uh, the U.S. couldn't create any decent chances to steal back the three points, and the game finished 1-1, a point each for each side. Disappointing for the U.S., but a point is a point as they faced the English on Black Friday, one of the top transatlantic rivalries in world sport. Uh, England sit on top with three points, the U.S. and Welsh with a point each, and Iran at the bottom. Now, notable ma- upcoming matches include Mexico's opener against Poland, El Tri hoping to get all three points before, lacing, before facing Lionel Messi in Argentina. Uh, France begin their defense of the World Cup against Australia, looking to be the first back-to-back champions since the days of Pele with Brazil in 1958 and 62. Spain are looking to avenge some early exits of the past few tournaments and begin their tournament against Costa Rica. Uh, Canada will face second-ranked Belgium with their first World Cup appearance since 1986, the, their only appearance until the match uh, that day. Cristiano Ronaldo will look to finish his international career strong with Portugal as they'll begin against unofficial U.S. rival Ghana. And wrapping up will be number one ranked team, five-time champs, the favorites, Brazil, will begin their tournament against Serbia. But that is going to do it for this new edition of the World Cup Weekly. I've been Stalam, and unless the Qatari bribes bribe me enough, uh, I'm Jack Liero. William Jackson, run it. Thank you, Jack. A little bit of a change of pace from the typical seminal segment, some World Cup updates from Qatar there. But we have a caller on the line speaking to us now on Tomahawk Talk. We have Johnny from Quincy, Florida. Johnny, go ahead. Hello, Mr. Haynes. I just wanted to check in. You know, I, I know you guys focus a lot on, on Florida State sports, but right down the road, I know that the TCC Eagles, their, their men's basketball program, number 13 in the country in the latest uh, uh, poll. Um, I know you also do some, some commentary work for them. And so I'll hang up and listen. I just want to know what you think their thoughts are, you know, maybe making a run at a national title this year. All right. Well, I, I appreciate that, uh, Johnny from from Quincy. Uh, the Eagles are a great team, and, and I'll keep this relatively short for for those that aren't familiar. But they they've got a guy by the name of Addison Patterson. He he played at Oregon a couple years ago. He was a top fifty high school recruit. They've got a, a guy by the name of Okechukwu Okiki, one of the best big men uh, in the country. That their head coach thinks that they have the best front court in all of junior college basketball. He thinks that they could go up against a lot of mid-major schools at the D1 level. Uh, so I, I think you have you have the good guard play on the outside. You got some really good guys down low. Granted, they play in the toughest conference uh, in all of junior college basketball in the Panhandle Conference. I think. Uh, you know, three of the four other teams are ranked in the top 10 nationally. So we're going to have to see what they're made of in January and February uh, to see if they can make a run at Hutchinson, Kansas uh, in, in March or March or late February, whenever it is. Uh, so thank you, Johnny, there for the call. But we got about 10 minutes left on the show before a new release comes around at 8. And I want to get to something that, that's been a story that we've been neglecting for too long, mainly because maybe we wanted to. FSU men's basketball, they're 0-4. Now, granted, at, at time of recording, they're up 52-44 on Mercer midway through the, the second half at home. But they are 0-4 for the first time since the 1959-60 season. Uh, they lose by games to Stetson and Troy. Basically, we paid these schools to come in and lose to us, and we lost to both of them, which never happens to that level. They had a 14-point loss on the road to UCF. And uh, the worst of them all, guys, maybe to kick our conversation off, 76-67, to 67, they lose to Florida last Friday. The Knowles led 17 at halftime. The Gators go on a 33-5 run to start the second half. I can't believe those numbers are real. How the heck is Florida State basketball this bad? 
Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, we the last three or four years we've seen, you know, we've seen the highs and we've seen the lows. Um, but from what I've seen, just a total lack of, of being able to rebound, especially on the defensive boards, uh, you know, just getting absolutely bombasted on, on the boards offensively. Um, and then it just, my opinion, I, I'd like to see the Knowles run some set plays. Uh, we we kind of just have, or Florida just kind of has the uh, the shoot and hope to rebound kind of um, offense and maybe run a pick and roll or two, but, um, you know, we're not seeing any off-ball screens. We're not seeing uh, any sort of creativity uh, in terms of preset plays uh, from the Knowles. And um, as much as I hate to say this, it's coaching. And uh, we just need to see as a fan base – Florida State, we just need to see some sort of creativity. And granted, Florida State has been dealt um, some injury problems, and obviously Ababa uh, won't be able to play the first 16 games of the year uh, due to the NCAA violation. But um, just a, a total lack of fundamentals, I guess, is what I'm seeing. Jacob, FSU basketball, what, what can you say? They're all in for me. What, where, where are you pointing the fingers at right now? You know, it's it's too many things. You know, it's costly mistakes, like too many turnovers. Like, there's just too much to point at, honestly. And I don't mean to just, like, point fingers and say that this is the problem, that's the problem, that's the problem. Like, we're not trying to deflect anything. But when you're 0-4 for the first time in 60 years, correct? Yeah. There's not, there's not really many good things going well for this team now, are there? No, there's not. I mean, I think they only had seven scholarship players uh, available the last game. I mean, the the injuries are a big deal, but I I don't think you can play this bad and blame it on injuries. The starters that they have are guys that were starting last year. I mean, Caleb Mills, um, you know, is is kind of their main offensive piece. I mean, I, I brought the radio to the the Florida game and I was listening to the call Jeff Colhane and and uh, the the analyst there. Uh, I apologize, drawing a blank, but he, the analyst was saying, uh, uh, Crawford uh, is his name, but he was saying that he's like, Caleb Mills is one of the most electric uh, scorers in college basketball. And then we didn't even get into the second half before he was like, yeah, Caleb Mills has got to pass that ball off. Like he, he can't be taking all these shots. I don't want to, I don't want to harp on any particular guy, but there's, I think it's part of the problem that they have. They bring in these guys that, all right, Caleb Mills, he's going to be our scorer. He's going to be our, our feature piece on offense. We're going to run everything through him. And he's getting double and tripled on every possession, putting up some of the worst shots you could imagine. And you wonder why you're losing to these really bad teams. I think it's the the approach from from the, the root of the problem, I think, is there. And it feels like the best way Florida State's ever going to score is on a fast break. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what's your favorite Florida State basketball play? It's the fast break at this point. Um but, yeah, I, I agree. Um, there needs to be some sort of shift in who they're going to run the offense through, I think, at this point. Maybe you switch to Cameron Fletcher. He had a great game yeah. a couple nights ago. Um, but, like I said, injuries been costly. Losing Baba, costly. Uh, but just from a, a, a strategic, you know, from a strategery standpoint, um, <laughs> to quote old George Bush there, um, Florida State needs to change something. They just they, and it seems like they keep just keep doing what they're doing. Yeah, they they need they need some weapons. Uh, Cam Corin, a, a big a freshman. They they like his ability to shoot, uh, but I think 
as as a true five, I think he's a little bit lacking. Nahima Cloud transfer from the Panhandle Conference, by the way. He came from Chipola. Um, he was uh, McLeod was hurt. He comes back. He fouls out uh, against Florida. Gets gets a few rebounds. Uh, he's got five against Mercer. Uh, Thirty minutes into the game, but you you don't have McLeod as as a guy playing consistently. You don't have a guy in Corn who's a true big. Um, so, so you worry about their, their rebounding abilities in Jackson. That's what you say. If, if rebounding is going to be that big a part of what you're doing and you can't rebound the ball that, that well, that's an issue. We saw Castleton from Florida. I mean, he terrorized this team last year. He terrorized them again. He had nearly as much points on his own in the second half as the entire Florida State team. They had no answer for him. And not only that, you know, Florida State, they, they have a 17-point lead at the half, mm-hmm. and they, correct me if I'm wrong, 33-5. to five That's right. Coming out of the break. Um, it was just horrendous to watch just you know whether they weren't able to adjust um or there was just kind of no game plan going to that second half to hold on to that lead it it felt like uh the energy had just been sucked out of the room immediately uh, watching that game and then i was able to watch florida state play against ucf uh, about a week ago or excuse me probably 10 15 days now ago and uh same thing just completely out rebounded um and it seemed like a long rebound Going into a counterattack uh, fast break was the best way that Florida State was able to score, and they were out of it from the beginning. Uh, from the beginning, from you know, ten minutes into the game, they're already down ten, and uh, yeah, they tried to make a run a couple times. But um, this team is is not built. Even when they go up, I was about to say this team is not built to go behind. But even when they go up, um, <laughs> uh, it doesn't yield great results. So um, you know, hopefully the Knolls can. Uh, Make it a close game tonight. And, it uh, is a close it game. It's close fifty-two game. to fifty right yep. now. I mean, oh, this is goodness. anyone that's listening to the podcast is we're kind of dating ourselves. But for the live radio listeners, it's ridiculous. It's inex- inexcusable. You go back to the Florida game because this is to me this was the most embarrassing loss maybe of them all. Just how they blew it. They led by as many as nineteen points and they lost by double digits. They had sixteen turnovers in the game. Jackson, can you believe this? They had five assists in the entire game. Oh, I can believe it. How is that possible? That's that's the question I keep coming back to. Because when you only score on fast breaks and you yeah. take dumb shots, that's that's what's going to happen. You have a guy bring, bring it up the floor, he gives it off once, and that guy is keeping the basketball for the rest of the possession, yep. uh, just trying to find room, whatever. It's, it blows my mind. Uh, Jalen Worley didn't play a lot in that game. I think they're looking for an answer at, at point guard. Maybe you look at lack of assists and, and, a, and a lack of a true point guard. Um is part of that problem, but I, I find myself scratching my head. This was a team that the wheels really came off the bus last year. They had some expectations, maybe in a little bit of transition, but they lost to some low-tier ACC teams. I think they're in for some really tough sledding and conference play again this year, and unless they think turn things around, I mean, they're potentially looking at 0-5 unless they, they gut out 10 more minutes against 2-2 two and two Mercer. So we'll leave it there because that's really all we can say. We're up at the eight o'clock hour this has been it for tomahawk talk for william haynes jackson bakage jacob smith andrew parker jack oliero the producer of the show as well this has been tomahawk talk new releases next you're listening to the voice of florida state wvfs tallahassee